What would you do if we poked you in the axiom? The purpose, to ask questions and engage in dialogue about subjects that we call axioms. An axiom. A statement or proposition which is regarded as being established, accepted, or self-evidently true. These are the underpinnings of our thought, our belief, and the ways that we live out our lives. A question. An examination to determine the validity and or meaning. Dialogue. The process of determination. The process of our examination. Thank you again for joining us. This is What Would You Do If We Poked You in the Axiom? Uh, and we are glad that you are with us, constant listener. Uh, this is our, our third episode so far, uh, and we are continuing in our discussion and our pursuit of this axiom of truth, of what is it, how do we know it, how can we come to it, uh, what is it to us, what does it mean to us. We are, I am Malcolm Fowler, I am your host, and to my left is... Thomas Barton. Thank you, Thomas, and to my right is... Mike Dion. Thank you, Mike. And uh, we, are your, uh, we are your Axiom crew. We are, we are it. We're all you got. So, good luck. Um, <laughs> Everybody's in trouble now. So, so we are here. Uh, actually, uh, you don't necessarily know this, but we are here. There's been a little bit of time in between our last recording, and so we're, we're coming back to this. One of the things that we talked a little bit about uh, off-air was trying to create some continuity in our conversation because we want this to be an ongoing conversation. And so uh, we sort of noted that like, well, maybe we just end up with one long episode about truth, and that seems to be where we're going, but, um, but here we are. And so, uh, so we're trusting that you're, you're following along with us, following along with the conversation and uh and that uh that you'll be able to be a part of that in your own way and so uh so here we are so one of the things that we uh had had touched on and and had um had had dealt with with it when it comes to this axiom of 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 truth um the fact that it exists that that's something that that we that we have um we've come to to a <laughs> we've come to some sort of some sort of what do you call it consensus on uh, that it does exist that it does exist one of the th- one of the problems with it though is that is that how do you know what it is how do you know when you've when you've hit upon truth right is that would uh, would my friends here say that that's accurate to our conversation I think that's probably been a big part of what we've been talking about is you know we talked last time about faith kind of being the entrance way to truth and not necessarily in a religious sense, but if that's the case, then how do you know what you're doing is knowing instead of just believing? Yeah. And that knowing goes beyond, goes beyond mere facts, goes beyond just mere, mere, mere factual things that have happened or, or observable, uh, observable instances, observable, observable reactions, observable things. There, there might be a truth that's behind that, but that those things in and of themselves aren't necessarily the truth. Yeah. Data is not necessarily... You have to interpret data. Mm. Thank you for using the parlance of our times, data. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's good because I think that is, that that is something that uh, we do a lot of focusing on data. And if you've, if you've uh, been involved in any sort of uh, funding, grant funding, or anything like that. A lot of it comes down to, well, what's your data? Where's your Where's your proof that this works, right? And right. sometimes, sometimes those things are not necessarily something that you can just put a metric to. Well, and it's also the the other side of that coin is you can take data and kind of make it say what you want it to say. So if you have a certain belief and you take a certain data set, you can mix those things together to say, yeah, look, of course we 
are actually frogs. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's a terrible example, but I, you know, like you've you seen the say per- cardinals, did you? <laughs> yeah. Well, have you seen the the people who take like any statistic, like gun deaths or uh, lightning strikes of people in pools or something, and compare it to the years that Nicolas Cage released movies? Oh yeah, it's and, it's the whole causality versus uh, uh, correlation. correlation. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow, that was good. We all were in in unison on that. Um, I wonder if there's any correlation there. Uh, and no, and that's a, and there's a good, there's a, a really good. I think entry point into this, which is that okay, if this thing, if this thing that is called truth exists, we have some sort of relationship with it, right? Like we have some sort of interaction with this thing that we that we call truth. Um, and and how do we do that? How do we? How are we to interact with the truth? How are we to? to and and I suppose for me at least, the the question that comes from that then is is like, well, what do I do with it? I mean, if it's there, if it exists, if it is something that I have this relationship with, what then? What am I supposed to do with it? So we ended the last podcast, uh, how truth calls you to follow, right? And we talked a little bit about, I think in the first one. We were talking about the pursuit of it. Right. Right, that if it's, if it's something that is there, if it's something that's worthwhile, that it's something that's worth pursuing. I might even go back all the way to the first. Well, in the first one, so, I mean, I, I said at the end how I thought that the truth necessitates following it yeah at the end and then in the first one we talked about you know you kind of need to submit to what is true mm-hmm. and so you know how what is our relationship i think our i think that's primarily our relationship with the truth is is one of surrender basically i mean and i think maybe that's why it may be more comforting to say that the truth doesn't exist because then there's nothing to submit to. It's your own best ideas that, you know, you can give life to. Yeah, and, and so here, here comes my combativeness for the day, that I think that, I think that, that the thing that we have, or at least that we're struggling with in our current Western society is not that truth doesn't exist, but that there's so much truth. There's, there's so much of it that it's, how do you know what actually is and what actually isn't truth, right? And when you say so much, do you mean so I mean, much truth or so many cl- truth claims? So many truth claims. Thank okay. you. No, that's that's a, that's a, that's fair and accurate. Yeah, that there's so much there's so many claims to truth, and then you, you, you what what becomes what becomes the way that you discern what is and what isn't, right? I don't think that I think that. I agree with you that the pursuit of it is the is the thing that that a lot of people are doing, and I think that maybe that's why it seems that there are so many claims to it because everybody everybody has this inward need and desire for it, right? They have this inward need for this. I don't know. I don't know if they if they necessarily think of it in terms of truth, but the, in terms of this, you know, who am I? What is my relationship with the world around me, and 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 how does that how does that work itself out, right? And so there becomes this this truth claim, which which is um, well, you know, you have to perceive me as this thing, right? Like you have to interact with me as this thing that I say that I am, right? And I think that one of the things that we're saying is is that truth truth doesn't always work like that. Truth doesn't always work in like in the way that like you get to define it, that you get to you get to to make it what you want it to be. And well, and this is and I wonder if this is why you're saying like the submission to it, right? Yes, that's exactly what I mean is that, you know, that's why it can make us uncomfortable because we don't get to define the truth. I mean, if if we do, if we get to define what truth is, then it's just another invention. 
on a really, really small scale, I may have told this story last time, um, but on a really small childish scale, like one of my kids gets very frustrated when things don't work the way he expected them to. And he's just, <laughs> I oh, don't you're... understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just my kid. Yeah, it's just, uh, <laughs> I don't have any experience of that at yeah, all. We have no idea what that's like. <laughs> but he gets he gets like very, very upset and, and is like, I don't understand why this doesn't work or it's, you know, everything is wrong. And so our mantra has become, first, you got to acknowledge that happened. This thing happened. And even if you think it shouldn't have happened, it did. And so now you have to move forward with that. Once you accept that it happened, now you can do something with it. If you continue to fight against it, you can't, you can't go anywhere. You're just going to lie there and yell in your bed. And it's, you know, like, you know, building a Lego and it's, it falls apart. It's not supposed to fall apart, but it is. So maybe it's a matter of what you're willing to submit to, right? Because... I feel like there's like a thousand strands where this conversation could go just in the first five minutes here. <laughs> You're talking about all these competing truth claims, right? But people willingly submit to those different truth claims all the time. It's like, well, we can't do that because that's against conservative principles or, well, that goes against the progressive agenda or, well, according to, you know, whatever theory X, Y, Z along the political spectrum, you know, right. li- libertarians willingly submit to libertarian principles and vice versa everywhere. So I think with the proliferation of truth claims, it's because we're manifesting our own desires as truth claims, the things that we want to be true. You know, we create ideologies around them or we find a ready-made belief system to fit ourselves into, and then we submit to it. But it's kind of the thing that we wanted to submit to all along. The truth doesn't have much to do with it. It's, it's what we want from that thing or that belief. I'm not sure if I'm on board. It, 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 that sounds a little bit more intentional, I think, than it may. It's probably, yeah, it's it's, probably an unconscious thing. But, it, I mean, we're yeah. unconscious of our own desires all the time. But, I mean, I, I, I know, not that my experience means anything, but I know many different people who are in many different places who don't necessarily want to or – like wish things weren't the way that they are. You know, like this is how this is what is true, and so I'm submitting to this, and I don't like it, but it's true, and so that's that. Um, you know, in terms of the way things work, um, you know, pick your ideology. I think that there's definitely some something there to we're drawn to the things that resonate with us, but I think there's also something there to uh, the fact that those things resonate with us as a result of experiences that we've had and the evidence that we've explored so far uh, where, I mean, you've got people on, on both sides of pick a hot topic issue and they, not all of them, some of them are just Facebook memeology experts, but many people that have like, have really dug in and they've explored and they really believe like these are the things that are true. And so if you're fighting against this, you're fighting against truth and not because they want it necessarily to be that way, but because what their experience and their evidence that they've explored has kind of shaped their worldview in that way. I mean, is it is it fair to throw that bone to everybody? 
Well, I mean, not everybody. Not not everybody. <laughs> Facebook memeology experts are you know you're just lazy f- philosophers. I, I hear what you I hear what you're saying, Mike, and I think I think there's a reason why it sort of feels messy, like trying to get into it into a definition, right? Like like this is one of those subjects that I think is it's it's kind of easy to break it down. It's harder to build it back up, and that is yeah. always I think going to be the challenge that we will have with what it is that we're trying to do here. With you know with what would you do if we poked you in the axiom? Breaking it is easy in some ways. Right. right. Like what is durable sometimes is a little harder to like find when you begin sifting through it. Right? Like what is the, and so one of the things that sounds like what you're talking about is like, you know, there are these things outside of me that have shaped and, and yeah, you know, I mean, if you, if you grew up in, in an oppressive system and on some level we all do, if you grew up in an oppressive system, and let me I'll just take an example. Like if, I mean, if you grew up as a slave in ancient Rome, right? Like, and you looked around and you said like, I'm a slave. Like, that's true. Like I, I am a, I, I am owned by somebody, right? Like that's, that's a true, that's a true statement. It's, but it's something like outside of you. Like you don't, you don't have much control over that. Right. Right. But it, it sort of fits onto, a, onto the level of like material truth, right? Like it's an observable fact. It's a, it's a, it's a historic scientific thing, right? The reason for that is something that goes a little bit deeper, right? right? And I think that that's one of the things with the truth claims is that all these truth claims that are that are flying about our world right now all have much more of an individualistic thing to them, right? And I think that the problem that we end up with is we end up when when like when we try to find those things where those truth claims like sort of begin to fit together with each other, mm-hmm. right? And that seems to be the thing that that um, what it seems like what we're doing is just ending up in all these little camps of like, well, well, your truth claim doesn't fit with my truth claim, and so, so you need to be over there because you're, you're sort of the enemy in some ways, um, and it, so I think that it's going like onto a deeper level, and I guess that, again, like, I don't know, I feel like I'm continuing to like poke this axiom a little bit, but like, it is very, very difficult, and I think that we just need to acknowledge this to your point of like, you know, hey, let's acknowledge that this has happened, let's acknowledge that like. It is at times difficult to discern what is true and what is not true. Is it something that is just born from my feelings? Is it something that is just born from my environment? From my from which I think is your point. Is it some and the feelings thing? I think is is your point, Thomas. That there are times when you know that desire within us, which is very very strong, begins to feel like the truth begins to feel like this guiding principle of this thing that identifies who I am or what I, you know, how I interact with the world about me and how I live my life. And so it is, it is difficult. And this is, and and I, I do think that this brings us to a point in the conversation, which is like, how do I know? How do I know that what I'm experiencing, what I'm seeing is truth? And if it is, then what do I do with it? How does it guide my, how does it guide my life or how should it guide my life? I don't know if you can know. Oh, I mean, well, I guess let's. No, we just were, on my got, side. We got fifteen like, minutes in. No, that's not no, too no, bad. No, I guess no, we no. can go home. <laughs> no, no, I mean, like, I believe in absolute truth. I I think that I have in my life experienced truth, but. So when you read the works of mystics, right, you know. Can you give us a quick example? St. John of the Cross. Thank you. All right. 
talks about the unknowability of God, right? Mm-hmm. Which is which is actually um, a prerequisite in experiencing God. That it's only through the stripping away of falsehoods and getting to a place of radical ignorance and radical unknowability that then you can experience God. And then it's something that's indescribable. <laughs> so right? listen for our next podcast when we describe it. Well, no, I mean, and I, but I think that's, I think that's, that's incredibly honest and especially for a religious person to say is because it flies in the face of, you know, I need proof. It's like, I can't give you proof. I can give you experience and I can give you an experience so profound. Maybe if you follow it far enough that you won't even be able to describe it to someone else. And, and if we're talking about, cause we're, we're like all the truth claims that we've kind of been talking about, whether it comes from, you know, this is outward circumstance or the research someone has done or just the feelings they have and what they want to be true. We're not talking, I mean, we're not talking about absolutes there, like at least one unifying absolute principle, which is kind of how we started off this conversation in the first episode. Like that's what we meant by truth, right? The truth, absolute truth as a metaphysical thing that is not subject just to the material world. And how, how, if you've experienced that thing, how can you do anything, you know, other than like invite someone to it, which we talked about in the previous episode or, or do your best to follow it and live it out. Like there's nothing else you can do. So in a way, you know, I do, I do, I agree. It's, it's, it's sometimes it's almost impossible to know, but paradoxically in the unknowing, well, and I, this, I, is what's, I, this is what's so diff- why it's so difficult to talk about these no, things. No, 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 and I, under- and I understand. I think that that's probably why, like, so you bring up the mystics. I think that's probably why why they can be confusing at times to read, right? Because because there's a sense in which the experience that you have doesn't necessarily translate, right? And and, and so it's like, how do I how do I describe that I love my wife, right? I mean, there are some words that I can use that, make a pretty good estimation of it. Um, but really how I can describe how I love, love my wife is well, look at my life. Look at the things that I do and the reasons that I do them and look at the things that I do for my wife, the, the ways that I, you know, nurture her and, and, and support her and, and protect her even. And, you know, like, look at all those things. Like you can see it, see it there. Right. So the, the mystical experience of, of truth in some ways is sort of an untranslatable experience. Right. Um, and, 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 and there is that inevitability about, about the truth. Um, I wonder if, if that's why we see in a world that is seeking for truth, it seems like so desperately. I wonder if that is why, you know, when we have a voice that rises above the rest of them, that seems to be this 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 voice that like draws people to it or like unites people to it. That people will flock to it, not necessarily because there's some something about that voice that is that is true or saying something true, but just because it it projects from a from a place of strength, right? And so it it seems to project something that that is true, and so it draws people into itself. But I don't know that that's really that that's really truth, or maybe that's a thing for another episode. Maybe I'm, I'm getting off track here, but um, I guess. Again, like coming to truth in our relationship with it, and you you, you touched on it. Um, 
that it has this, like, what else can you do with it, right? Except invite other people to it. Sure, sure, absolutely. But what am I inviting people to? Like, I need, I need some sort of understanding, you know, call it a translator, a translator of the truth. Like, help me understand what it is that is going on here. Help me understand what it is that I have experienced. Like, somebody who can, who can help me to understand this. And so maybe that's like... Which is, which is ironic to me that I just said that, like, you know, there will be voices or there are voices in our world today that, like, rise above and, like, call people to it. And I think it's, I think it's partly because people want somebody to explain something that they feel that they know that is true. And so they're seeking for it. So maybe this is a good point to, like, jump into, like, the thing that's kind of been... On the edges. On the edges here <laughs> is that, you know, you need someone to explain it. You need someone to, you know, reveal it. Um, if truth is revealed, there is a revealer. There is a revealer. So can there be absolute truth without... An absolute truth teller? An absolute truth teller. Yeah. I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't either. I'm I'm in agreement, but I'm... Oh, mark it. 21 minutes. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> Poke it anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't... I don't necessarily think that um, the statement, if there's absolute truth, if there's absolute truth, there must be an absolute truth teller necessarily like nails that coffin shot. No. Um, but I, I'm in agreement. Like I, I'm, you know. Cause it's an impossible, like these are like, once again, like when we're taught like, the level of truth, I think we're talking about. It's so profound. It's yeah. It's, and I think that this is the you've you've both kind of been on on uh, you've you've brought up two sides of of the coin like it's so profound you can never really know for sure but you want to know and when you hear that that absolutely uh, convinced voice that says this is absolutely certainly what it is or what is true it's so easy to follow that that certainty. Mm. Because we want to know, mm. and we're not sure that we know. But man, if that guy knows, I want I want what he seems to have. And I think the the reality, like you know, you bring up the mystics. The reality is, it's just this like so overwhelmingly profound thing to try to understand the truth. I almost picture it like you know we've all got like a a puzzle that we're trying to put together, but like the pieces are all fit together. So you're, everybody's making a, a puzzle that's not necessarily what's actually on the box, but I can make it fit. But maybe that's, you know, I actually need to pull that out. And so we're all kind of trying to figure that out. Like, well, what is this, what is this picture? We have, well, maybe we don't even have all the pieces. We have some of the pieces. This is a terrible analogy. You should kick me for this. <laughs> I'm just like going to watch it all unravel. Just <laughs> I'll come apart all over again. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, I thought, oh, I don't know. It was it. so close. <laughs> Here's what it is. It's, so, I don't know. But, you know, I do it's find like it. Starting from the middle in a puzzle. <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> <laughs> Masochists. <laughs> Insane people. So I do think it interesting, though, that, you know, that the vast majority of societies who have believed in, you know, metaphysical truth have all believed in the divine. No. Whether they be monotheistic, polytheistic, somewhere in between, right? They have some type of creation story, you know, and they believe in... Movers. Yeah, 
they believe in spiritual principles. Yeah. Whereas those societies who don't believe in, you know, a metaphysical truth obviously don't have, they don't have that. And that's not necessarily that they wouldn't, you know, well, I mean, look at, look at, you know, the communist system in Russia where the truth was what they made it, what the party said, you know, rewrite the rewriting of history, you know, the destroying of all tradition. And we see that in other totalitarian regimes as well. There's something about taking away the principle of the divine that brings in relativity. And, you know, I know, again, we've talked a lot about, like, the postmodern claims. Well, all these different societies that had different ideas of the divine, you know, they all conflict with each other. And that's true. There's no way around that. But they still have that principle Right, like Plato's idea of forms—that there's a f- the form of the good, and that there's ultimately the good, mm-hmm. and that there's a form everywhere else. Like these cultures, like they have different ideas of good, they have different ideas of bad, right? And sometimes others are in conflict. But what you don't see is an absence of goodness. There's still that belief cross-culturally that there is something out there that is the good, that right. is the truth, regardless of you know what piece of the puzzle they they have right what's your stack of evidence that you're and your experience that's i mean it's the abortion debate it's not like oh i'm pro-choice and because i'm pro-choice i don't think that there's a good or bad and so if you're pro-life then whatever it's you know i'm pro-choice so if you're pro-life you're oppressing women and that's bad right they still believe in a good and a bad right and and vice versa like i'm pro-life and so if you're pro-choice you're killing babies and that's bad. Like we still care deeply about what's good and bad. And how can we care deeply about what's good and bad if we're not implying that there's an inherent meaning? Right. And meaning is not material. Like can you touch meaning? You wouldn't if you didn't care about it it wouldn't matter. Is the fact that regardless of anything. I mean even even in relativistic societies you still can find things that people are just like, no, that is unacceptable. That is bad. Is that one of our pointers? I don't know. I think that's a... I, is that too I, much C.S. Lewis? Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. But um, I guess it's just a matter of, or a question of what it points to. Um, and again, I, I think it, it becomes... Some things aren't as obvious as others, right? And so... Like you just said, you know, in relativistic societies, there are still things that that sort of we can point to and say. Well, I'm not saying the things that they're pointing at. I'm saying the fact that there's still a sense of good and bad. Yeah. Yeah. I I wonder how many people would be able to make that separation of it, you know, Um, because we because we do get so caught up in the things that are right in front of us. And it's, it's, it's easier to see the trees than the forest in a sense, I guess is what I'm saying. It's because I'm short. Stop making fun of me. <laughs> so you're talking about like, how do we know, right? How do, or how do we get to a place of knowing or how can we, we trust? So I'm wondering, you talked about marriage. How does, you know, how do, how, how can you know that, you know, your how can your wife know you love her or can other people know that you love your wife? Right. It's your actions. Yeah. So, you know, Christ said, you'll know them by their fruits. It's, it's, there's an experience, and we talked, you know, last time about humility. 
Does an experience of truth... It's more than my actions. Explain. No. <laughs> Did Maybe. you say no? <laughs> no, I just said No, I oh. refuse to explain. <laughs> All right, podcast over. <laughs> I think it's... I, it's 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 like the internalization of the law, right? It's it's the observance versus the uh, obedience to. Versus it's the observance versus submit, right? Like I might observe the speed limit because I do because you know because you don't want to get pulled over, right? Right. <laughs> is the speed limit something that I've internalized? You know, like is it something that lives within me? Is it, you know what I mean? Like, it's true that there's a speed limit, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it like lives within me. But so, it, so love, love can be seen outwardly because, because I might do something, right? But that doesn't necessarily, because that action could be reproduced by somebody else. Does that mean that they love my wife? And if, so, you know what I mean? Like my actions could be, could be reproduced without that, which is behind them. So how can you tell, I, I don't want to rabbit you. I want to keep this the truth. Oh, I'm sorry. No. No, I'm trying, to th- I'm trying to think how I want to say this. We're trying to th- say, how can you point to something and say that's it? Yeah. And I'm wondering if it's possible without being able to look at the people who are saying, come and see. Right? If we're talking about you know, being invited into the truth like we did last time. Yeah. I need to be able to look at the person who's inviting me to this thing. And say, you know what? There is something there. I need to go explore this. And well, I mean, that's the that's the proselytizing claim of every religion. It is. So, like, what could we say as like a standard for the seeker out there who doesn't belong to any of these ideologies or religions, so that they have something to look at? I would hazard that the greater knowledge of truth, the greater love and humility a person has. And I believe you cannot. You, like not only can you see that in a person's actions, but you can feel it in their presence. Like you can always tell when you're around the person who's acting in their own self-interests because, you know, we have <laughs> evolutionary uh, warning systems, you know. To, yeah, yeah. That yeah. let us know, hey, predator. <laughs> Watch out for this guy. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're looking, if someone's telling me like, here's the truth over here, right? And they're like screaming for the death of their opponents. I'm going to be like, I don't really th- think this guy knows what he's talking about. Or if that's the truth, then you're right. There isn't any. <laughs> well, which should, you know, make every Christian out there beware with how they act. That I, I had a real struggle the past few years, uh, with my faith because watching the majority of, of Christianity in our country. And I say the majority Say the loudest portion. The loudest portion, yeah. It's not I the don't majority. Know that, yeah, I don't know that it's the majority, it's, unfortunately, but I think it's the loudest yeah, portion of it. It, at the it is definitely the loudest portion. Um, and 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 many people that I looked up to, uh, and you're not on this list, Malcolm. Uh, so I you know. I never assumed that you looked yeah. up to me, so. Well, <laughs> took that the wrong way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but watching watching how, like, aggressive people got and tried to use Jesus as the the motivating factor for why they were calling for people to be hung or uh, just being awful to their fellow human beings. And uh, and that was really, really difficult because I, I had to ask the question, 
God, if these are your people, if you say your spirit is within us, then what is this? And probably not God's spirit. Well, and yeah, and just in in by way of not really defense, but just in response to it, like um, I think that I think that we see that in in everybody, not just Christians. I no. think we see it in everybody. I think it was it was disturbing to see it in in in, in a number of Christians and and equally in, in in people that that we may have known to be kind, gentle, you know, relatively oh, yeah. nice people, right? The Just, hardest part about the Christian side of it is that you know, like Christians have always said, those out there, they're they're like that, but we're not. At least is, in my universe of which is not actually shouldn't actually be the thing that 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 a Christian says, right? right. Like really, Solzhenitsyn. I got in his uh, in his Gulag Archipelago, um, and I got reminded of this recently, and I'm glad that I did because when I read it, I I underlined it and I thought this is this is a true statement. This is some truth right here. He said that it would be easy if there were evil men just doing evil deeds somewhere because then we could we could single them out and we could yes. get rid of them or destroy them or imprison them or do something right. But the problem is, is that evil runs right down the middle of every human heart. And so the, and I, you read something like that and you go, yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, I don't know about you out there, listener, but I know that's true. And I think that that's the thing that like, so again, so maybe that's like a point like, okay, here's this guy. He just said something that I know to be true. Like, I, I know that to be true. And I don't mean know it like just in my head, like know it in the fully experiential way, right? That I have experienced that to be true in my knowledge, in my understanding of something. I've experienced it to be true in my own heart because I've examined my own heart and I've said, yeah, I've seen that line. I've seen where it runs in my own life, I've seen where it runs in my own heart. And I know that that's a dangerous thing, right? And how did Solzhenitsyn, like, I think what gives... Well, he was writing it <laughs> in a certain context to Mike's point, but like, well, also like the fact, how did he know it? Well, no, like how do we, I think the reason that it's so forceful when we read that is because Solzhenitsyn put his life on their line. Can, uh, for the, uh, to write that for the public school kids over here. Can you, uh, (laughs) Hey, first tell (laughs) public school for the college dropouts over here. uh, There we go. (laughs) go. Alexander Solzhenitsyn is a Russian dissident. Uh, he spent time in the gulags, um, in Russia. Wrote, you know, one of the most famous Russian novelists, wrote the Gulag Archipelago, the life of uh, Ivan Denisovich, I believe. We gotta mangle all these Russian names. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. The Gulag Archipelago is uh, what he called a literary exploration. And it was his conception of the Gulag as this like archipelago of islands, right? That it wasn't any one place, but it was like all these places that were joined together by the fact that they were oppressing prison places, right? And it's, it's, it's generally considered one of the greatest works, if not the greatest works of the 20th century in literature. So I should probably stop reading Harry Potter and pick up a, <laughs> a real man's book. Yes. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I am still working on McCormick, uh, come, McCarthy there. Come back, to, come back to the idea that like, okay, in that statement, right, there's somebody who told some truth and there's a reaction to that because I can, I can, I can tell that in my own life, right? Well, also... And again, we're we're sort of coming from this from this 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 idea that we we previously in this conversation we 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 brought this idea in that there's this thing that is like this unifying thing, right? Like, what is the thing that like draws these things together? 
what is this thing, this metaphysical, this one, one truth, right? Um, that draws these things together. And I don't know, I don't know that that can just be encapsulated in a statement. I don't know that you can just say like, that is true. And from that you grow all these other things. Maybe it is. As I'm thinking about it, it probably is, but that's from my perspective, I admit. So we get pieces of it. We get pieces of it, right? And then we go, okay, now how do I create this roadmap from these pieces of this for my life? I think you do it primarily by by seeing it lived out before you, by seeing the truth lived out. I didn't, but how did the person before you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, eventually, you know, you go like, you know, what's the world rest upon? It's turtles all the way down. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. eventually, you have to go back to the first cause, right? And yeah. the universe is not infinite, according to you know. People who study that sort of thing. <laughs> that, that is both. So that it, is a scary statement. It in, has a beginning. In both ways. Yeah. It's not infinite. Yeah. So it began. Right. So we presume. There was a cause. We presume there to be an end. And so, I mean, that's not like, so like eventually, I mean, if you ask, well, like, where did that person that you're looking at as an example, you know, where did they get it from? Eventually, I think you come back to the idea of a truth teller. Of you, know, oh, I agree. Of a revealer, someone who, mm. which was not, which was only you know only considered crazy up you know after like 1960, right? <laughs> like the vast majority of human beings have believed that forever, and we can again say, I think that that's we, just an evolutionary thing, or we can say, well, maybe that's because there actually is. I think that, we're no, programmed no, to believe it. I don't think that it's a it's a crazy idea for us today. I think that it's just everybody has become their own truth teller. Is there a perversion of... Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there are perversions. Well done, Mike. <laughs> Here's your $5 for the day. Um, one of the things when you, when you were talking about uh, reading the quote that I'm not going to even attempt the name, but uh, you said you, you basically you intellectually recognized, yes, that's true, but also like in your experience, in your soul, you were like, yes, mm-hmm. yes, if this just resonates with me. Is, is the... My truth for me is that a perversion of the necessity of self-reflection to experience truth. Like, Ooh. can you keep going? So, so if if I'm really going to be um, take that that issue, like there's evil that runs down the middle of every man, I have to self-reflect in order to mm-hmm. either assent or dissent from that opinion. I could stand back at that and just be like, no, I, I don't have any evil in me. Mm-hmm. Um, but in order to really grasp that, I have to look inside. Mm-hmm. But does that necessity to look inside then say, well, also I'm a canary. Like, yeah. Like, does that, is that, is that the perversion of it where we just, we start to look inside and we go, I'm whatever I want to be okay. instead of I'm looking inside to examine myself to see what is true about me. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, and I like that. Um, the image that I get is like a mirror, right? And like somebody looking into the mirror. And I don't know, like the perversion comes in a couple of different places, right? Either that the mirror doesn't reflect something, right? Because you've, maybe you've covered that up, 
Right. Or you don't. You don't see it. The mirror is foggy. Yep. Or or there's something, and you're looking into the mirror. So there's like right. your observation of the thing. Like so, there's a blind spot in your own eye, right? That yeah. that sometimes sometimes obscures that. Um, and or the it, Instagram filter that you put on. That just well, <laughs> I, yeah. Well, so you ever done those? You, you've you've probably done this because you just admitted that you were in the public school. But like, have you seen that? Have you seen those little science experiments and that everybody's eye has this blind spot, right? And we just fill it in. Apparently my school wasn't. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but it, it, so like if you take a piece of paper and like you draw, you draw lines on it, but you leave a, like say you draw vertical lines on it, right? And they're just, they're spaced and they're, they're all on this piece of paper, but you leave like a, like a small spot where the lines are not, right? Yeah. And when you look at it, there's a point in your vision where that, where what your eyes do is they just sort of cover it up and they don't see it as a, as an empty spot. They just cover it up with the lines. And I think I th I think there's something to that in what you're talking about with our with our interaction with the truth. That sometimes we do that. Sometimes, like we, you know, like us in our understanding of it, we don't necessarily know what it is, and so we just sort of fill in the blank. And so, I and I wonder if that's like when we when we venture into that like perversion piece that you're talking about. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, like it's not a willing per perversion. I'm gonna mess this up, but like. We make some assumptions, and and oftentimes those assumptions are based on a number of different things, our desires, you know, the way the world has been around us, and we just sort of fill it in and say, hmm, there it is. So I'm wondering with this conversation and, and the lack of self-reflection that we're talking about, um, if that's part of the reason for this fracturing that we see in this relativizing of truth and the lack of absolutes um, and traditional forms, right? Because if you look at these traditional forms, um, can you just again for the college dropout over here? Traditional forms. Uh, let's say just traditional Thanks, religions. Mike. Let's say traditional religions <laughs> or traditional spiritualities. Let's let's say that. Okay. Cross cultural. Gotcha. No. What they all one of the things that they all have in common is the need for self knowledge to know actual <laughs> absolute truth. Yeah. Right. And over the, you know, the Oracle of Delphi, you had know thyself, right. That was considered the key to the mysteries, uh, the Greek mystery religions, know thyself. In Christianity, you have the kingdom of God is within you. And you have St. Isaac, the Syrian saying, you know, you know, self-knowledge is the way to the knowledge of God. You have this in Hinduism. You have this all over the place that, we would even say that we have it in our relativistic Western world today. Right. But so like the idea that real true self-reflection can actually lead to absolute truth because the fact of the matter is, is that I have planted eternity in your hearts and the hearts of men. You did what to me? <laughs> <laughs> that there is something inside of us yeah. that is, that partakes of the absolute and by going within and seeking to know ourselves, we stumble across it. So if I don't have to actually know myself, if I can, you know, create myself and say I'm whatever I want to be without actually having to know the root causes of, of what makes me the way I am and my own particular neuroses and pathologies, then it's no wonder that everything else becomes fractured as well because I'm not, I'm not truly trying to know who I am and therefore I can't know anything else. And this is cross-cultural. Yeah. It's, 
it's a dangerous road. It's an absolutely dangerous road. And I think I think it's the dangerous road because because there are things within me. So you know, you say, um, "Kingdom of God is within you." Well, yeah, it it was planted there. Um, and and so to to look inward, I think can be a dangerous road because we can quickly get led down the wrong path. We can quickly get get led down a deceptive path that might seem like truth, but it's not. And so. I think it takes that, that inward looking, but I think it also takes something from outside of us. I can't escape that. I cannot escape that. It takes something, and, and that's a dangerous place too, because there's a lot of things outside of us that could be deceptive as well. Um, but I think, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to use a, a biblical example here real quick. When Paul was on, when Saul was on the road to Damascus and met, the risen Jesus, right? There were very few words that were exchanged, or at least that are recorded for us. But those words and that experience changed Paul. They revealed something about his actions. They revealed something about the one that he was interacting with. And they revealed something about his world. There was some great truth that was spoken there on, in, those, in, that, in those very simple moments, in, that, in a very, very simple setting. Um, and it took... I think there was an inward thing that, that happened and there was an outward thing that happened and there was those two places. So it takes, I do, I do agree with you that it takes that inward thing, but I think that there is also that outward thing that happens. I, I agree. And that's where the role of, you know, these traditions came into play was to give you a safeguard as you made that journey. So you didn't just go nuts. Safety net. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. And I, so yeah, maybe, you know, without, so they've done studies of people who do like yoga or transcendental meditation or all these other spiritual uh, practices um, without an ethical framework and they become more narcissistic. Uh, paint me surprised. Right? And what's, <laughs> Let me get my surprise paint. Oh, good. <laughs> and what's interesting too is like, again, if you read like actual like ascetic texts, you know, whether it be you know, from whatever religion, there are clear warnings to everyone who would take up the practices that one of the results is madness. And the reason that is, is because you inflate your ego because you think, well, look at me with all this awesome spirituality I have. Mm -hmm. So like you need to have an ethical framework in which to practice these things. You need some, you need a tradition outside of yourself that you can enter into when you try to make that inward journey. And we don't have that. So like I I can't help. We're just inventing it as we go. Yeah, we're inventing. I can't every time I see pictures of like, and God (laughs) forgive me of like people like meditating or doing yoga. They all just seem so self satisfied. And it's like like people take pictures of like the good deeds they do, right? They they you know like all those on Instagram and put them on Instagram. It's like that's not the point. Yeah. Like we have like meditation booths at like Amazon factories. It's like you can like oh yeah it's. so you can go in and meditate and become a more productive worker because you want to kill yourself because Amazon's a horrible corporation that doesn't even give you breaks. Well, they give you breaks, but you have to walk like half a mile to get there. I'm not going to go on a rant. Um, it's too late, I think. <laughs> too late. <laughs> like, there goes our sponsorship. Right. Sorry, Amazon. <laughs> I love ordering books from you. <laughs> but we've taken all these traditional forms that were meant to bring you to a knowledge of the absolute, 
we've removed them from the traditional structures and moral frameworks in which they arose in. And now we use them to make us so like we don't, you know, so we're just not anxious because we live in a world that's crazy. <laughs> we should be anxious. We should be anxious. We should be crazy because the world's crazy. And like, that's what happens. We just keep inflating our ego. It's, it's a spirituality of narcissism. I don't meditate because I want to experience God or truth or the absolute. I meditate because I want to be the best me that I can be. And or the, because it, or because it, 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 it heals some symptom that I have. Right. And like, and I mean, but it doesn't, it's yeah. And that's, know. it's yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll have to do some, some personal recon. I, I have some, some people that I know that are, that are friends that are, that do yoga and things like that, but I don't know much about the, the ethical framework around it. Uh, one person in particular that I'm thinking of, fantastic person, definitely would not qualify her as a narcissist. Yeah, it's not. Language, it's not but, everyone, obviously. But I'm curious if there's an ethical framework behind that. Yeah. Um, and and not to say like that, you know, all yoga is now you're just going to be a narcissist. Well, they're not yoga, even practicing right? yoga anyways because there's eight limbs of yoga according to Pat and Jolly, and it's they're just doing half of yoga, which is the body part. There's Raja yoga, which is knowledge. There's Bhakti yoga, which is actual devotion to oh, oh, a deity. Okay. I mean. It, it's, it's American consumer stretching in Eastern garb. It's, but it's also it, it, the other side to, to that. And, and I don't know, maybe you kind of touched on this, but like if you just take a spiritual practice and reduce it to moralism, you're also robbing that practice of something. Correct. Right. And so like for for the Christians in the room, uh, you know, if we just make it about the law, about the Ten Commandments, like we're robbed of something. And I would, and I would even argue that, like, the law doesn't even make any sense without the 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 spiritual experience of God. Otherwise, it's uh, otherwise it's just words on a tablet, right? Might as well just use Hammurabi's code. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's just as good in some sense. Are we back to the whole like now we got a debate about the good and the bad? <laughs> I think no. I think so. Here's what I think that we're coming to, and I think uh, just sort of distilling down like what it is that we've that we've talked about here, um, that there is a truth that's out there, that there is a truth that is knowable. But in order to in order to come to it, like there are many facets of it, and those things need to need to work together in in, in many ways. I'm kind of kind of trying to develop some sort of analogy here, right? But like. Like just looking at it from one one perspective, like you're missing you're missing other parts of it, and in the missing of other parts of it, that you might end up with that perversion, like you were talking about, Mike, um, where you you just you just end up with a with a focus that doesn't give you the rest of it, and it, and it um, it pulls something away from it, and so these things need to work work with one another. There needs to be a um, oh dare I say it a guiding a guiding something either a principle or an actual person that that serves as a guide um to these things um and again and that's not like an unusual idea you know like the idea the idea that like somebody would be a guide to you in these in these matters of truth um i mean that's you see that again everywhere i mean even today in aa you have a sponsor to work yeah. you through the program yeah christians had a spiritual father or a spiritual mother you know, you had the guru in India, you know, that word gets a bad rap because of abuse, but like that was their teacher. And you had, you know, your rabbis in Judaism and, you know, your imam in uh, Islam, like
there's there's the tradition that gives you the structure to make the inner, inward journey, and there's the teacher that helps guide you to that inward journey. We don't have the traditions. We don't have the guides. And we so, like, we don't know how to go in. And what we do is it's very hard to tell what side you're on when that line runs through your heart. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's in in this whole process there and and I I really do think that it's a process. No. No, let's use the word pursuit because that's one that we've used before. It's a pursuit and it probably is a lifelong pursuit. I'd be wary of somebody who says that they've arrived and can go no, you know, have no place else left to go. Absolutely. It was one of the uh and one of the sayings of the Desert Fathers, it's a collection of uh, ancient Christian texts about uh, desert monastics. I can't remember which Desert Father it was, but um, he was walking, you know, he was walking along and uh, the devil would appear behind him and say, Abba, you have made it. You are a saint. And he goes, oh, not yet. And he goes a little further and, you know, the devil comes again. And he goes, you clearly are the most holy man in all the desert. And he goes, oh, not yet. You know, and this keeps happening until finally, eventually, he dies and he has one foot inside of paradise. And the devil's right there and he says, see, you've made it. And he goes, not yet. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's a process. It's a pursuit that you can't let up. You can't let up. Which maybe, to me, like, it feels like, it feels like we, like, like I mean, we could just do unending episodes on on truth as an axiom, right? Yeah. And, and, it, and it, I, I like I think I think in many ways I think that this will probably the be the most difficult axiom that we that we tackle in what we do. I agree. Yeah. Because um because because it's hard to say that like here it is and we've arrived at it. It'd be interesting to come back and do this again like a year from now. <laughs> it would be. See how much like We'd have like we'd have like six more episodes recorded. Right, like our own <laughs> idea. <laughs> Every season starts off with, all right, let's tackle truth. <laughs> so here's here's I think I think what I've heard so far in our, our restructuring. Truth is revealed. It should be pursued. There is most likely a, a revealer. Um I would say we haven't put this into words, but I think I've I've heard this concept that there's an element of conviction that is I'm I'm convicted about that this is true or I'm convinced that this is true and that is in some ways distinct and separate necessarily from certainty where we become certain that I have the answers and so there's we act on conviction based on experience evidence guidance from others revelation self-introspection, honest and self-introspection. Um, and that's the best we can do, but we also have to approach that whole thing with humility saying, I, there's always more to learn. I'm not, I'm not there yet. The wise man is the one that says he doesn't know, right? Yeah. More than the one that says that he does know. They'll yeah. still make him drink hemlock though. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But if it's the right thing to do, then I'll do it. Well, and, and you know, <laughs> maybe not necessarily for next episode, but at some point in time, like, because I think that this is, for me, 
when it comes to talking about truth, and I think that this is very just in a, in a practical sense, there there has to be the question like, well, well, what do I do with it? Or and in that relationship sense, not just what do I do with it, but but I guess the other side to it is what does it do to me? What does it do to me? And we've sort of we've sort of more discussed like what does it do to me, right? And that like in that self introspection, like I'm I'm sort of looking at like what are the parts of me that it reveals, mm. and and in those parts of me that it reveals, are there parts that need to be kept, and are there parts that are there parts that need to be cut out? Like is there an evil that that runs down my heart? Like I need to remove that, or I need that removed from me, right? Um, and if I'm going to do that, like maybe I can do it or at least in part do it, attempt to live it out by saying, like, I will do these things. I will do these ascetic practices. I will be guided by this person who will help me to identify those things in my life, right? But, like, but still, the question, I, the question there, and I, and I think that everybody wants to think that, they're, that, they, have, that they are a good person on some level. Um, you know, is, is that enough? Does that do it? Um, does it just, is it enough to do that? Or the other question, I think, and this is, you know, again, like a different claim, but, like, if that truth really does something to me, right, then it's not necessarily that I'm like pursuing that thing being cut out of me as much as it is it's like it's already been been cut out and now I'm just trying to live a life that fills it in with mm. something else, right? And so it's like, so there's the question of like, okay, now the truth has done something to me, like the truth of, of this, this metaphysical thing, this, this, this ultimate thing has done something to me. The thing that you touched on, Mike, that, that again, we haven't, and I don't think that there's time this time around <laughs> to get to it. Um, but one of the questions, and this is, maybe this is one of these things that for us as a whole with this podcast, what do we do with all of these things? Because I think truth can, truth is one of those swords that cuts both ways, right? And I think that the problem that we most often have with truth is when the, when the truth just gets, when it gets weaponized, Right when it gets yeah. used as like this thing to like to hurt other people, and maybe not maybe not necessarily like to like in, maybe not to hurt to to kill, but like to damage. It can be it can be used in a in a very in a bad way. Right? Does that make sense? Like, yeah, I think I think the problem is is that <clears throat> like truth can be a noble weapon. In which you combat falsehood, right? Agreed. But the, but the problem is, is that what we tend to do is look at people as falsehoods, as opposed to the ideas those people have, right? So, like, yeah, we attack we attack people, yeah, and that's not. It's an easy thing to do. Was it was it Chesterton or Lewis who said, uh, you know, the truth doesn't need to be defended. It's a it's a lion. Just let it loose. Sounds like Lewis. Yeah, yeah. It's it, lions. That's yeah. that's why I say it sounds <laughs> yeah. like Lewis. You know, yeah. Could right. be either. I think is Aslan a safe lion? Oh no, no. Um, but yeah. What what do we do with the truth? I would say we follow it. What does it do to us? I would say it unmakes us and then reforms us. It it uh. They, I think like if like. The way, if if you know, again, I know I'm going back to looking at people who say they've encountered the truth. You know, which I've kind of been saying a couple times. But like, if you see someone who has been utterly transformed, 
that's a witness. It, it's it's really hard. Like they, they, you know, they go out into the desert and they come back and they've got this thing. And you know, it's like Moses when he comes down from Sinai. He has to <laughs> he has to veil his face. He has to veil his face. You know, he's well, been are, he's been changed. Those are the stories that those are the stories that make the most. They draw the most attention. They seem to mean the most, right? Like those those stories where where the person has been confronted with something. Um, again, you know, both inside and outside of themselves and, and the story of what it does to them. And I think that that's, you know, that's, that's the greatest story that anybody, anybody, any of us has to tell is, is, is how it is that we've been shaped and been formed by those truthful experiences, right? Um, they're the stories that win the Oscars, they're the stories that win the, win the literary prizes that, um, and they're the stories that are the ones that we most want to hear. And I think probably that we most like to tell as well. Because they're true. (laughs) (laughs) How do you know? Because they're true. Because they're true. Yeah. That's, that is right. That is right. There is a whole lot more left here. And this is an ongoing process for our listeners. This feels sort of like an ending here. I don't know, but I'm looking around at at my... I feel like this would actually be a great way to end these last three episodes with saying, like, we don't have a final answer for you. I do. It's a pursuit. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's why I think that we've just spent these, these these last minutes here just trying to gather ourselves back up and and say okay what have we what have we come to here um it's it's a very difficult process i think some of these axioms as we as we come to them will be a little bit easier to do this and will be easier to say okay here it is um but uh you know for for our listeners out there like hey you know we feel just as let down as you do um <laughs> well let's give some closure why don't we all go say who like what we believe the, the truth is hey don't don't go taking over my podcast sorry <laughs> You can edit that part out. Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I'm prepared to do that. Honestly, I mean that's my own my own fault and my own show prep, right? But like, I don't think I could give the answer in in enough of a succinct way. Maybe you may have a succinct. I'd love to hear your succinct version. Oh, he's already thought of one. I know he's he's had he's one been for like and months been, now. He's been wanting to say it since we got in here. <laughs> Go for it. Because we could be wrong now. <laughs> I mean, I said it last episode, I believe Jesus Christ is the truth. I would hope that the type of honesty that we're trying to do here would not, you know, necessarily persuade anyone to that, but persuade someone who doesn't believe in an absolute truth to consider it. I think that's, for me, that's the most important part of like what we've done in this conversation. It's just just the concept of truth itself, regardless of where it may lead a person to, that they would be open to the fact that there just may be an absolute, you know, and that they would start searching for it. Yeah. No, if I, if I, if I had put a name to it, it would be the name of Jesus Christ. And I think that that's, you know, I mean, I brought up the example of Saul on the road to Damascus. I don't think it was, I don't think it was any other of those words, then I am Jesus. I am Jesus. I think 
in those in those very simple words, I think that that was the thing that confronted Paul, and I think that that's the confrontation with truth that is, at least in my experience, is the greatest confrontation with truth that I've ever had. I don't mean confrontation like how I you know combat it, but I just mean having it given, presented, put to me, um, and the impact that that has or ha- and has had upon my life has been. Every, every single day, every single moment, every single moment has been a pursuit, has been all of those things that we've talked about, has been, has been the pursuit of, of what does that mean? What does that mean? How does it impact me? How then does it impact how I live my life out? It's been that defining peace, that defining truth in my life that has made a difference in every other, every other piece of my life, in the whole of my life. You know, I, th- I wish, like, because it takes, like, from, it takes, you know, I don't know. It's a risk for a Christian who does believe in, in Christ, that he is who he, you know, revealed himself to be. To say to someone, like, this is what I believe, but you should go look everywhere you need to look. Yeah. And I wish, I wish that, like, someone had said that to me when I was younger, that like it was okay to go seeking and like trusted that God would have led me where I needed to be. And so like to anyone out there listening, like just go seek. So you're saying this isn't a turn or burn podcast? No. <laughs> God, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, just like if, you know, and if there is no truth and we're all wrong, then like, you know. Yeah. Well, but at least go look for truth. Look for truth. And see what see what see what pops up. So on on that note, uh, it's interesting because I would I would agree with you guys in terms of the person of Christ as truth, but I wouldn't consider that to be a succinct answer uh, for anybody who doesn't already have you know Saul of Tarsus has a whole context for which to experience I am Jesus, and I think that that what you're saying, go and look where you need to look. Now you're going to have the context to experience that in, in, the, in the right way. I think that's huge. Whatever huge means. What is huge? Next week on... <laughs> well, so like you just said, you know, a turn and burn podcast. I also hope that our listeners are, are not, that they don't feel like they've been trapped. That they don't feel like they just walked into, you know... That we that we had something sprung on them, right? And in, in us being in us all saying that, because one of the things, and 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 you know, just to sort of speak to to the whole of this and to our specifically to our listeners, like we acknowledge that like this is a pursuit uh, that we are we are engaged in ourselves, um, and we we hope that that part of what has come through and will come through as we continue in this um, is a humility of ourselves towards these, towards these topics, um, that there is a, you know, there is a, there is an assuredness that we can have about, about things. Um, but we, we want to invite people into that seeking conversation. And I think that, I think that sometimes, I I think you're right, Thomas, that sometimes the, the presentation of the gospel, sometimes the presentation of who Jesus Christ is, 
unfortunately comes more from a place of weakness than, than from a place of strength. It comes more from a place of fear than it does, than it does a place of peace. Mm. Um, and a, a peace of knowing who Jesus really is and resting in that. Um, and maybe that's, maybe that's sort of our last piece about this truth, um, about truth in general. That there is a, a peace that comes from it. A peace that comes in a way that, that is not found in other places, not found in anything else. Um, I think truth can be, it can be, a, it can be a destructive force. It can be a force that breaks down. But I don't think it's a, I don't think it is a, a force of destruction. I think, and I, and I think that ultimately, I think ultimately what, what truth does is that it brings, it brings peace. Yeah. And I think it's creative. Like, hmm. I think that's the reason we see in our world today, like, you know, I talked about last episode, you know, that we've deconstructed everything, but we haven't rebuilt anything. Hmm. Well, how could we? Yeah. You know, like. You mean in Western. And well, yeah. And no, like, how could, how could Western we, world. you know, and, and even, you know, remove truth from, from, from a Christian or religious context, but just, you know, hold, holding onto that idea that there's a metaphysical principle, right? You need that to build. You need that to build something. That's why, I mean, look at, look at modern architecture. It's ugly. Now go, now go, (laughs) now go look at architecture throughout the ages and look how beautiful it is. I mean, there's no beauty. Like, I mean, look at, look at art throughout the ages, cross-culturally. How beautiful it is! It was, and look at it today. Someone's throwing paint, you know, balloons filled with paint at a canvas. Like that's art. Like I'm sorry. Like if my if that's my physics at work. If my five year old can do it, and if, like, I, how's your five year old gonna feel about this and the stuff that's on the fridge right now? <laughs> I mean, you could spin around. Like he's just as good as someone at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. That's true. And I, I mean, and, and and there are reasons for this, but I mean, I'm sorry. Don't piss on my leg and tell me it's raining. It's not beautiful. <laughs> I've never heard that. <laughs> Usually, it's on your it's on your back. Ah, Usually. I haven't heard that either. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've just I've never heard anything remotely close to that. You know, it's, so uh, concepts of beauty go hand in hand with concepts of truth and me- metaphysical principles. I mean, the ancients built <laughs> uh, these these wonderful works. Based off of cosmic measurements, they were trying to mirror the cosmos and the beauty of the cosmos. And today we can't do anything but look down at, you know, our feet or stare into the mirror. And no wonder our work is so ugly because we're ugly and we don't have any guiding principle to lead us to, to grace or beauty. I mean, that's why there's no resolution. That's why, you know. Sorry. <laughs> 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 Those are all my biases just completely being <laughs> vomited out right now. Well, we know Thomas isn't going to the Museum of Modern Art anytime soon. Uh, <laughs> it, did, it did sort of feel like we'd gotten off track a little, little bit more than we normally had. So. <laughs> I, but it was fun, so I, I think we'll that, keep it. That, yeah, we'll keep it. <laughs> that, may be, that may be a conversation for another time. Uh, for for another episode, that actually uh, probably be a really good one. Yeah. That would be because I think I think we we could fall squarely on opposite sides of that and and spar around a little bit and you know hang out afterwards. 
Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I'll, I'll always want to hang out, Mike. Good, good, good. Uh, Constant listener, we hope that you have enjoyed hanging out with us. We hope that you'll consider hanging out with us further as we uh, as we continue in these pursuits, as we continue in these dialogues. Um, and we, uh, we hope that we will have... Uh, more truth yet to reveal in uh, in these axioms that uh, that we examine and that we poke together. Tell so, them what's next on the table. I don't know what's next on the table. Freedom. Oh. Oh man. Yeah. That's just getting worse and worse. <laughs> yes. Yes. Freedom. What is freedom? Uh, I'll give you. I'll give you a teaser. For... Uh, we don't have it. <laughs> And I don't mean that in any other ways that you out there think that I might mean it. We don't have it. You don't even realize you don't have it. You don't have it. I don't have it. Well, maybe I have it. I think I have it. But you don't have it. Oh, Malcolm, the arbiter of freedom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we're gonna we're gonna look at freedom. We're gonna look at freedom, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna examine. We're gonna poke that axiom. We're gonna poke that axiom. So I, I thank you for uh, for being with us. I thank you for. Uh, for joining us and for journeying with us and, and hope that you will uh, come along with us as we, uh, as we continue to poke these axioms. Thank you. What Would You Do If We Poked You in the Axiom is hosted by Malcolm Fowler, Thomas Barton, and Mike Dion. Show notes are by Malcolm Fowler. Music by Mike Dion. This episode was recorded at the podcasting studio in the Black River Innovation Campus located in Springfield, Vermont and is sponsored by Indelible Inc., demystifying the web and digital marketing for your business. 